This morning's scripture reading is from Psalms, the 138th chapter. I will praise you, Lord, with all my heart. Before the gods, I will sing your praise. I will bow down toward your holy temple and will praise your name for your unfailing love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted your solemn decree that it surpasses your fame. When I called, you answered me. You greatly emboldened me. May all the kings of the earth praise you, Lord, when they hear what you have decreed. May they sing of the ways of the Lord, for the glory of the Lord is great. Good morning. Open your Bibles, and if you've got an outline, you can turn it over to the back. I want you to follow along with me. We are talking about the one another passages, and our theme for this is John 13, 34, and 35. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, men will know, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Nobody should love people better than followers of Jesus. That's who we are. That's what we're called to do. That lesson on greeting was so well received, and I didn't expect that as much. And if you weren't here, I know it's the summers, there's a lot of traveling in and out. You can go online and maybe catch up or order a CD for that. But today, I want us to talk about the one another command that appears in the New Testament more than any other. And it's one that is so sorely needed about encouraging. I'll begin with the story about how a man became successful. A newspaper reporter went to interview this successful entrepreneur and asked the question, you know, you've done so well, but what I want to know is how did it all begin? What is the secret to your success? Can you just walk me through your story? And the man said, I'm glad you asked. Let me tell you, when my wife and I got married, we didn't have anything. We barely had a roof over our heads, just a little bit of food in the pantry, and just five cents to our name. When we took that nickel, I went and I bought an apple, I shined it up, I sold it for 10 cents, and the the reporter said, well, what happened next? He said, well, I took that 10 cents, I went and bought two apples, and I shined them up, and I sold them for 20 cents, and the reporter said, well, then what happened? He said, well, well, then my father-in-law died and left us $20 million. (laughs) It wasn't so much his own ingenuity, it was his connection. But why do we like tell me your story stories? Because we do, don't we? We like the backstory. How did you get there? Tell me how it began. Tell me your struggle. Tell me your story. I put this just as a way of introduction. I think it's at the top of your page as well. We are wired to want to be inspired. We're made that way. God created us that way. We are wired to want to be inspired. And yet we are bombarded with so much news and so much propaganda that is negative and depressing. And it just, just depletes the human spirit. So where do you go? Where do you go in this broken down world for a word of encouragement to be built up? The writer of Hebrews answers that question. Again, if you're doing the online Bible study of Hebrews, and you're right there with us at this point in the study. But I want to begin by reading in Hebrews chapter 10, beginning of verse 19, from the New International Version. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. Now this is huge, because it's only because of the blood of Jesus we can go there. Verse 20, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain that is His body. 
And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for He who promised is faithful. Hear what he's saying here. We don't have to be afraid to go into the presence of God. We don't have to be fearful of, of what to expect. The blood of Christ has washed us. And because we're washed, because we're clean, we go with boldness before the God of heaven where no one else can go. And now notice what he writes next. Verse 24, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So where do you go when you want to be inspired, when you want to be encouraged, when you want to be lifted up? I hope you can all answer to use our modern day terminology, go to church. That that's where you can go and be built up to gather with people who also have been washed by the blood. And share that same faith, that same purpose, that same direction, that same privilege. One author said this, The church is to be a place where always is heard an encouraging word. The Duke of Wellington, the British military leader who defeated Napoleon at Waterloo, was not an easy man to serve under, not an easy man to be around. In fact, he was brilliant, demanding, but not one to shower a lot of compliments on those who were under him. Yet even Wellington realized that his methods left something to be desired. In his old age, a young lady asked him, what if anything, if he could do differently, what would he do differently? He thought for a moment and he said, I'd give more praise. Maybe you and I should do the same. Give more praise. Another's are consistent, intentional, even aggressive encouragers. It's who we are. It's our calling. The one another passage mentioned more than any others is encourage one another. If you're going through the Bible, the word translated encourage is found in the original language 109 times. In just 27 books, 109 times. That tells you it means something. Literally what the word is translated to mean to come alongside. That's how you literally translate the word. And it's always used to describe activities that inspire or build other people up. I put this next statement on the screen because I want you to, to get this. To encourage is to share an intentional expression meant to help someone grow in their walk in Christ. To encourage is to share an intentional expression meant to help someone grow in their walk with Christ. And because of that, it's not surprising then, when you read through your Bibles, you find this word over and over and over again. Because we all need it. They need it then, we need it now. For example, Acts 14, verses 21 and 22. It says here, they preached the good news in that city and when a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 2, 11 and 12, For we know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. Notice what he says. Encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into His kingdom and glory. 
seems a responsibility for all of us, not just leaders, but all of us as, as anotherers. Later in the same book, he says this to all the Christians. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. See, encouraging encouragement is much more than just a compliment. It's not just commenting on a nice piece of clothing or, or a pad of bag. That's not what we're talking about here. It is spirit-led encouragement that has a deeper purpose to it. I think this is what the writer of Hebrews was talking about. Listen to Hebrews 3.13. But encourage one another daily as long as it's called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. So when God puts someone in your path, someone in your sphere of influence, and maybe they're teetering on the edge, you as a follower of Christ, you are intentional to encourage them to make the right choice. You point them to Jesus. You come alongside them. That's what the word means. And you inspire them with whatever it is that helps them to move toward the Lord. See, the world, and we know this, is full of discouraging words. Discouraging situations. It's a discouraging world. We hear it all the time. Work, school, the news, social media. Sometimes I'm tempted, maybe you are too, just to turn it off. It's overwhelming. It happens even in our families. Reader's Digest told of a story about a Navy frogman. The wife wrote in, because I was visiting my parents with my new husband, a Navy frogman, when he drew me aside and said, I don't think your mother likes me. He said, I was explaining that I can't wear my wedding wing when I dive because the barracudas are attracted to shiny things and they might bite off my finger. She said, well, can't you wear it on a chain around your neck? According to Scripture, see, I don't have to convince you that the world is full of discouraging words, but according to Scripture, one of the chief purposes of coming together is encouragement. I want to make sure you get that. If you don't know that already, make sure you, you don't leave before you get that. One of the main reasons you come together as a Christian is to encourage. If you come to worship, slide in late, leave early, don't speak, don't encourage anyone, you're being selfish. If you weren't here for our lesson on greeting, that's what I'm talking about. Go back and, and read that. Now, when you come to worship, when you come to, to study the Bible, yes, the focus is on the Lord. And, and yes, the focus is on other people. And third, there is no third. Love God, love others. But that's all it is. Again, 109 times in the New Testament, encourage. It's not an option. If you're wearing the name of Christ, that's who you are. That's who you're called to be. If you've been washed, as the writer of Hebrews says, that is who you are. That's what you are to be doing. See, you can, really, you can worship God at home. You can worship God in your car. You can worship God in, in nature. But God commands us to come together to encourage. Well, what will encourage encouraging? What will encourage encouraging? Let me share a few ideas. First, you must say no to self-absorption. We know this. The flesh will always gravitate. to It's all about me perspective. 
But aren't we inspired by stories of people who put the we in front of the me and they're selfless? The Olympics are inspiring because of such stories. You have to go far back at all. In fact, the London Games, when the Americans were in the 4x400 relay, you might remember this young man, Mantillo Mitchell. Do you, do you remember his story? At 200 meters into the 400 meter race, he felt a pop in his leg. Yeah, a pop in his leg. He knew it wasn't good. He said, I felt like somebody literally just snapped my leg in half. He had another lap to go. It was just the preliminary rounds. This wasn't even the, the final game. It was, this was just trying to get to the finals. He said he had a choice to make. Keep running or stop and lose the race. His whole team would lose the race. But here's the deal too. If he won the race, if he made the decision to keep going, he wouldn't get to race in the next race. He was out. And so if he kept going, he'd be doing it for the team and not for himself. And to, for him, it was not much of a choice. He told Associated Press, I heard it, I felt it, but I figured it was what almost any person would have done in the situation. He knew the stakes were high. He said this, even though track is an individual sport, you've got three guys depending on you, the whole world watching you. You don't want to let anyone down. Now, the backstory of that is he did slip down the stairs at the Olympic Village and he thought nothing of it because warm-ups practice went well. He didn't realize that there was anything going on. But somewhere approaching that 200-meter mark, pop, broke his fibula. When asked how, he credited something more than simple adrenaline pushing him through the rest. He said, faith, focus, finish. Faith, focus, finish. He kept repeating that to himself. And that's what got him through. Do we have to make the application? In this sin-filled world, anotherers, followers of Christ, realize we're not the only ones in the race. And all throughout the New Testament, we read this concept of we instead of me. Like Philemon 7, Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Wouldn't it be a great thing for someone to say to you? Let me share this with you. I'm not convinced that Satan really cares if you're wicked as long as you are indifferent. It amazed me this week the outrage over the killing of a lion. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? And so much indifference over the aborting of babies for years and years and years. It's amazed me how indifferent we can be. In the book, The Screwtape Letters, C.S. Lewis, you might remember that, there's a devil who briefs his uh, demon nephew, Wormwood, in a series of letters. The objective, he says, is not to make the people wicked, but to make them indifferent. And he says this, giving instruction to his nephew, I, the devil, will always see to it that there are bad people. Your job, my dear Wormwood, is to provide me with people who do not care. See, at, point, at some point, we have to make a decision. Was Jesus right? Was Jesus right when He said the way to self-fulfillment is self-denial? The way to the top is the bottom. The way to win is to lose. 
It's inside out. You have to stop thinking me and start thinking we. You have to decide, was Jesus right? And if Jesus was right, then it makes a difference in how you live. Well, number two, we must say no to individualism. We must say no to individualism. We live in an amazing country, an awesome country. We love our country. We thank God for our country. But our country has taught us that individualism is a virtue. But you don't find that in the kingdom of God. Anywhere. It's not about the individual. Sometimes you'll hear songs with the line where people say, all I need is God. All I need is God. It sounds good, but I reflected on that a moment and I thought, that's unbiblical. In fact, it's undoable. You don't read that from God. In fact, Scripture says we cannot love God apart from anothering one another. Like 1 John 4.20, Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom he has seen cannot love God whom they've not seen. Your walk with God is personal, but it's never intended to be private. It's about others. It's about sharing. We're in this together. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 We urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. We cannot become all that we are to become without others helping us. That is just the reality. That's how God wired us. We need someone else to help us grow. Someone else to help us learn. Someone else to help us mature. Someone else to pull us along when we're discouraged. We need each other. In fact, I was reflecting on this. I thought, I cannot think of a significant kingdom achievement in my life that I accomplished completely independent of other people, other believers, supporting me, helping me, encouraging me. Again, that's why Christian gatherings are so important. Why whole Bible study groups are so important. Why prayer groups are so important. Just someone that you can connect with on a spiritual level. We all need each other. You can practice faith in isolation. You can practice hope in isolation. But you can't love people in isolation. You've got to have a family. And you can be an introvert and be an anotherer, but you can't be a loner. And there's a difference. Sometimes we get those confused. Another is encourage community and gathering and come together to encourage. So you say no to individualism. We're in this together. And then third, you must say no to cheap grace. Remember the context of the, of the Scripture, our text in Hebrews. He calls us to encourage through the blood of Jesus. That makes all the difference in the world. Through the blood of Jesus, we can now enter the presence of God. We've been made holy because of His sacrifice. What He says in the text then is encouragement is a response to that fact. That's what comes next. We behave like we behave because we believe what we believe. If you believe that you've been washed, then the way you're going to act is you're going to be looking, considering ways to encourage one another. Grace is free, but we do not believe that grace is cheap. And grace tells me I cannot give up on anybody. And so we look beyond ourselves for someone else to encourage. 
From the NIV, the 1024 of Hebrews says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. The New Living Translation says, let us think of ways to motivate acts. You don't just let it come to you. You're thinking about it. You're intentional. Encouragement should be on your to-do list. It should be a goal, not just something that just sort of happens when you gather with other people. You consider how to do it. I read a story about a 71-year-old man from Kalamazoo, Michigan. Michael Nicholson is his name. He made the news because he just completed his 29th college degree. 29! You know what he's doing now? He's going for 30. Isn't that something? Nicholson said, it's stimulating to go to class, look at the material that's required, and meet the teacher and the students. It makes life interesting for me. Otherwise, things would be pretty dull. But here's what bothered me about the story. According to the article, Mr. Nicholson doesn't actually do anything constructive with all of his learning, with all of his degrees. He doesn't put his knowledge to use. In fact, one of his professors said, he likes going to school, but he doesn't want the responsibility. He just wants to study. My concern, when I read that story, I was indicted a little bit because I thought as followers of Christ, and I, I want you to hear what I'm saying here. We can put so much focus on studying. Study, 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 study. And how much focus are we putting on live it? Do it. Get out there. It's not just about coming together and studying. It's about living it every day. The point is of the Gospel. And I want you to get this. and Go back and read Hebrews 10 again. When you realize you have been washed in the blood, you've been given this amazing opportunity to go into the Most Holy, to stand before the Creator, you have a responsibility to act. That Gospel changes you. It transforms you. It doesn't just give you information. Now you know. It makes you into a new person. Grace affirms the dignity and worth of every human being. And the Gospel tells me, commands me, will not let me let it go to give up on anybody, to encourage to build up everyone. It's one of another's highest privileges because what Jesus has done for me, I get to partner with Him and build up others. That's our calling. We know it's time for school to start. It's this week, people. You ready? I read this story about a family moved to a new area. Their son was going to a new school. But the boy was extremely shy, and the mom was extremely concerned about how he would do, especially when he came home one day and said that he was going to try out for the school play. She thought, I wouldn't pick him for the school play, and I'm his mother. You know, he just doesn't have what he's got, what he, what he needs. But he went and he tried out. She prayed for him. Lord, don't let him be disappointed if he doesn't get chosen for a part. 
When the boy got home, he busted through the door. He was jumping up and down. And he told his mom, I got the part. I got the part. And she said, what part did you get? He said, I was chosen to clap and to cheer. I was chosen to clap and to cheer. When you wear the name of Jesus, you have been chosen to clap and to cheer. But not only chosen, you've been empowered. This is not just using your natural gifts or your abilities. You have the Holy Spirit living in you. You do all of this because you are encouraged by another encourager. Capital E, encourager. That word encourage we talked about means to come alongside. A disciple does unto others as Jesus has done unto him. What has he done? John 14, 16. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another comforter to be with you forever. That's the NIV. Some versions will translate this encourage, encourager, or helper, or advocate. Or comforter. Again, it means to come alongside. That is who we have with us. Jesus has given us the ultimate come alongsider to live within us, to dwell within us. And the Spirit's presence encourages us to encourage others. That's our calling. That's who we are. And Jesus said you're going to be in some tough situations. And you're going to need it. I thought, you know, over the course of my life, I've been in some tough situations where as I was going in or found myself in the middle of, I didn't know what to say, I didn't know what to do. Sometimes in a hospital room, sometimes in a nursing home, sometimes in an emergency room, sometimes in someone's living room, sometimes on the street, sometimes in a prison, sometimes in a courtroom. You've been there too and you think, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. But it's not about what we say, is it? We have the encourager living inside of us. We're partnering with God to be there at just the right time, at just the right moment. To be His hands, to be His feet, to be His words. Just to be His presence. How many times do we hear prayers when we gather about somebody who's hurting that God would comfort them? And what are we asking for, really? We want somebody to be there. Somebody to do something. Somebody to, to be Jesus for them. To encourage that's what we are to be. The sweet serendipity of this, and you've experienced this, is when you encourage, you walk away encouraged. Isn't that true? You, you try to fill their cup, and it's yours that's splashing over. You, you went into that situation that you didn't want to, nobody wanted to, but the love of Christ compelled you to. And you're the one that was blessed. One last verse. Colossians 4, 7 and 8. Paul writes this. Tychicus. Don't know much about him. Got a, kind of a neat name. Tychicus. 
is a dear brother, faithful minister, fellow servant in the Lord. That's pretty good things to be said about him. But notice verse 8. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. How would you like Paul to say, you, you, I'm sending you to go to encourage. And more than that, how would you like the Lord to say that? But if you look at your outline or the next slide, there's the blank. I'm sending blank to you that He may encourage your hearts. Really just a paraphrase of Colossians 4 verse 8. And I want to challenge you to write your name in that blank. That God would send you to encourage their hearts. You may not even know who they is. But as you start your week, as you start your day, as you just go through life, you make yourself available to God to be His hands, to be His feet, to be His words of encouragement. Our invitation song is nothing but the blood. And if you've not been washed by the blood, I don't know how you deal with this dark, depressed, sin-filled world and more than that, what I know from Scripture is you have no help, hope of heaven until you've been washed. So this song that we sing is to encourage you to name the name of Jesus, to confess that He is the Son of God, to repent of your sins and let Him make you that new creation, to give you that encourager. Won't you come while we stand and sing to encourage you?